Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Join me as I interview and promote living composers. In this series of interviews, I talk with composers about their musical journeys, their past successes and setbacks, and their current projects. For more information about this podcast, as well as a complete archive of episodes, please visit sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dough. My guest today is Dr. Paul Aitken. Paul spent the past nearly 20 years as the Director of Music and Worship Arts and Composer-in-Residence at the Cathedral of the Rockies in Boise, Idaho, but has recently moved with his family to Nova Scotia, Canada. He was the first ever winner of the ACBA Brock Student Composition Competition with his piece, Flanders Fields. He holds degrees from the University of Western Ontario, Southern Illinois University at Carbondale, and the University of Oklahoma. Paul has more than 20 pieces in print, including commissions and major works such as his cantata and None Shall Be Afraid. Paul Aitken, thank you for joining me today on Movable Dough. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So you grew up in Ontario, Canada, but eventually you worked your way to a DMA in Oklahoma. So I wanted to know, what's the biggest difference you noticed both culturally and musically between Ontario and Norman, Oklahoma? Uh, that's a great question. Um, culturally, I don't think uh, Southern Ontario and Norman, Oklahoma can be. Um, uh, they, there's there's not a gob of similarities other than there are <laughs> both have cars and, and and both produce great music. Um, but 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 uh, life is is a is a little different in 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 in, uh, in, in both of those those, those places. Um, yeah, I would say that uh, in in Ontario, uh, there's a, uh, a simplicity of life that I, I, I really uh, uh, love. I, I grew up on a, a small farm, um, uh, just uh, uh, just inside of uh, the, the the town line of Palmerston, Ontario. Um, uh, by the time I got to middle school, I I, I was uh, um, uh, we had moved to uh, Listowel, Ontario, and um, and it was just a it was just a a much more uh, relaxed, simple uh, way of life, um, um, and uh, people had you know, obviously there was a lot of still a lot of uh, drive and and uh, personal accomplishment that was uh, um, happening um, uh, even in a even in a small town, but but uh, it is totally different uh, than than uh, uh, crossing the border into the states and um, and entering some of the the, the larger centers. What about musically? Did you notice any differences between what you were experiencing in Ontario versus Oklahoma? Uh, I, let me compare university to university because sure. I think that's that's a better comparison. Um, um, actually, I, I I feel like there's tremendous similarity uh, between uh, institutions, uh, both the University of Western Ontario uh, and the University of Oklahoma uh, strive for musical excellence. And um, in, in each and everything that they do, each university has has uh, different focuses. Um, uh, I, I feel like there's a little bit more of a, a push toward. Uh, well, it's been a while since I've been there. When when I was there, I felt like there was a, a bit more of a push toward uh, education and uh, more so than performance. I think uh, that was my my take at the time. Um, whereas uh, there was uh, at, at uh, 
the University of Oklahoma, I, I, I saw a lot more um, uh, push toward uh, the performing arts. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's, that's but, but ultimately, I, I think, I think uh, educational institutions across the board have pretty similar goals and, 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 and similar standards. Um, the draw is just different. Yeah. You know, so I know that a lot of your career uh, has focused around church music, uh, sacred music. Uh, did you begin your studies with that end in mind, or is that something that came about gradually? I had no idea that I would never set foot um, in a classroom as a as a uh, professor when I started out. I, I, I was um, when I when I uh, went from my master's degree in Southern Illinois um, uh, and uh, set foot on the campus of uh, the University of, of uh, Oklahoma, I was absolutely uh, bent on the idea. That I would be a, a professor someday. That was that was a my my end goal. Um, the truth of the matter is uh, that after I graduated, I needed work, and um, and uh, I needed work now. So I I uh, um, uh, applied for in addition for uh, several uh, several things. But I was I was ABD. I, I didn't have a, a doctorate at that point yet. And so the the job that I got, the full time job that I, I I got at the time was. Um, as a uh, director of music at a church in Florida, uh, Destin, Florida, and um, and uh, uh, that set me up to to uh, um, really have a, a deep appreciation for um, uh, full time work in the church. And um, so uh, when I when I began getting um, to a place where I felt like I needed to 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 move forward already. Uh, and that was only about uh, 20 months later. I, I applied for the my what I felt was my dream job at the time, and uh, uh, the salary was right. Um, the the the, um, the scope of the of the job was right, and it was something that was available at that moment. Um, and um, so I uh, applied for a pie in the sky job and got it, and uh, uh, didn't look back for uh, for 18 years. Yeah, so I I imagine that Boise and Destin are pretty similar in their their climates and <laughs> um, <laughs> no, just a, just a pretty lateral move there, right? <laughs> As I said, I I uh, I felt like I was shooting for the moon, and um, I guess the so the truth is I I felt uh, a little confined in the job at. Uh, um, in Florida, and and I, I just didn't feel like I was going to get to a place where I could accomplish everything I, that I wanted to, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I didn't ever have that feeling at all in Boise. I, I I'm, uh, to this day I I feel like there were things, lots of things that are, were left undone, and uh, that I wish I could have done, uh, could do more of. Um, um, I, it's not really a position that I, I feel like. Um, if you're doing the job correctly, that you outgrow. Yeah. There's always stuff to do. So thinking a little further back, when did your musical journey begin? Did you grow up in a musical family? Were you taking lessons? Hmm. What were you doing first? Uh, I would, uh, there, are, there are people in my family that said that uh, I uh, started right after birth. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I, was, I, I was always, I always felt musical. Um, the, the, there, was, there was always a part of me that, you know, I was the kid that, that ran around singing and humming and whistling and making everybody crazy. And um, 
by the time I was seven years old, I was really itching at and wanting to, to, to get into music. Uh, I had a great um, teacher by the name of Barbara Elliott um, at uh, Palmerston Public School. And she really helped instill in me a, a deep appreciation for, uh, for music and music teaching. And so I, I remember I, I went up and asked her uh, if uh, she would be uh, willing to teach me piano. And she said, well, I'm going to have to talk to your parents. <laughs> <laughs> so she called my mom and dad and, uh, you know, I don't know how, I don't know exactly what the time frame was, uh, but it wasn't long after that, that um, I was beginning to take piano. And uh, I took piano for uh, the better part of a decade after that. And um, uh, I took from, from Barb for uh, uh, Mrs. Elliott, sorry. Um, <laughs> old habits die hard. Um, I took for her, from her for probably four years and, uh, um, uh, and then had uh, two, more t two more piano teachers. But, but the truth of the matter is I, I never felt like I was a great pianist. Um, and in fact, my, my, my piano skills today fully and completely prove it. I have enough, <laughs> enough facility to be able to write well for, for piano and write for organ. Um, and I know what, the, you know, fingering and, 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 and how to make it all, all connect. Um, but uh, 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 as my wife likes to point out, well, you can write uh, some really great things, but you can't play it at all. Um, and that's after hearing me. So, uh, it, so I, I actually got uh, heavily involved in choir in high school and had two phenomenal uh, teachers uh, uh, by the name of Timothy Gilbert and uh, uh, Lawrence Robotham. And they just really instilled in me um, a passion for choral, choral music and choral singing and great choral sound. And the program at, at Listowel District Secondary School was truly uh, unparalleled in the, in, the, in the area. This was a small school of, I think just less than a thousand students. And with these great big choral program uh, with this great big choral program and we, you know we we would we would uh, um, get on stage in some of these larger festivals um and uh in our in our you know podunk uh, <laughs> uh costumery and uh and we'd 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 go out there and uh, just sing our hearts out and uh, blow the competition away and it was it was in those moments those those uh, particular moments of of my uh, high school upbringing that made me realize I, I wanted to do this uh, professionally. It was it was something I I felt deeply in my core, and uh, that I wanted to do more of. Were there other musicians or composers that were inspiring you along the way? Were there pieces you listened to and said, "This is something that I can hook on to"? You know, the truth of the matter is, I can honestly say, not really. And it, it, I didn't, I didn't deeply connect with composers until a lot later in in, in my my upbringing. I mean, I love I, as I was playing piano, um, I was getting to know Debussy and Brahms and and uh, Mozart and I mean, I knew the sort of the big you know old dead guys, uh, but <laughs> but um, you know I knew of Rene Clausen, I knew of John Rutter. And I, I loved I loved what I was hearing in in the in the 1980s and some of the contemporary musics that were being written then, um, but it wasn't really until it really wasn't until um, I fell in love with the music of of Rayvon Williams during my undergrad years that I truly began to really focus in on 
on um, on specific composers um, and specific likes uh, for for uh, uh, for uh, uh, different sounds. Um, I feel like I was heavily influenced by, and I studied deeply the, the music of, of Von Williams. Um, I love the music of Mahler, Schubert, Song, uh, Schumann very much, and uh, I'd love to be able to say that that I had a, a, a also a, a long list of female uh, composers that inspired me at the time. But but quite frankly, I I I, I wasn't singing or, or learning about them um, during during that time in my life. It wasn't until much later uh, that I, I began uh, focusing on female composers at all. Yeah. Well, speaking of composers, I've got a question for you. Uh, as as is possibly the case for many of our listeners today, the first piece that they may have known for you is Flanders Fields. Right. And we're going to have time to talk about the piece in the second half of the interview today. But I wanted to ask you this. Does it ever bother you to be known for a particular piece? Like, do you ever want to just say, hey, I've written other works too? Um, <laughs> it's funny you asked that question. Um, I... I think that um, there there were there were years that I de I definitely resented that. Um, however, uh, in the past few years, I've it's it's kind of odd. It's it, compositions are sort of like your children. You 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 raise them, you create them, you raise them, and you set them free and and then do their things. Um, and uh, so I've I've had. Yes, there absolutely have been times when you know I've been in the elevator uh, uh, with somebody at um, at a conference, and uh, you know they take a look over at your your badge and go, "Are are you the Flanders Fields, Paul Aiken?" Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, it's me. Um, um, and yes, I've written twelve other great pieces, and you should really need to know these ones. <laughs> but. Um, no, I would I would say in the past four to five years I've I've made a a, a kinder embrace of, of of that piece. I've always performed it. I, I've I've um, and I've always enjoyed um, uh, performing it with with choirs and you know even even uh, uh, within the past uh, couple months I I decided you know I had uh, my next uh, Carnegie Hall uh, concert is coming up in uh, in 2022. Um, and uh, in fact, we did a big um, uh, promotion of it yesterday. Yeah, I saw the poster online. It looks awesome. It's fun. I'm excited. You know, I've got this. I have a I have a 30 minute cantata that I, that works perfectly in a uh, um, uh, in a uh, Carnegie Hall setting called None Shall Be Afraid. But uh, for this particular concert, I said, you know, I'm going to I'm just going to go ahead and say we're going to do Flanders Fields, um, but we're also going to go beyond Flanders Fields as well. So it'll be a whole program of of my music, um, I'll do uh, Flanders Fields, which is which is a cappella, then and now, uh, which is another John McRae text, um, and um, and it's also a cappella, so I'll do those as, as a as a nugget, um, but surround that with uh, with pieces that are choral orchestral. That sounds fabulous. I I wish I could make it to New York for that. <laughs> so I I asked the question. Um, because I have to admit that I'm guilty of it as well. So uh -huh. I, came, I came up to you at a convention in 2018 in Portland and asked, are you the guy that wrote Flanders Fields? Now, I have to say, I was only asking for confirmation because I was actually wanting to ask you about your setting of Lake Isle of Innisfree, which I oh. did end up performing later that year. So right. I thank you for being kind to my inquiry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's totally fine. I, 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 really, I, I really have come full circle on it. And, um, and honestly, 
when it comes right down to it, it's 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 truly a, a beloved honor. Uh, the, 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 the piece it, to me is special and, um, and uh, it does have a special meaning. I, I wrote it at a very uh, uh, poignant point in my, in, in my life. And, um, and so, uh, and those emotions I think come through um, uh, in that. And I think that's why it connects with people. So why not embrace it? Sure. So I'd like to turn next to your process a little bit. How do you, sure. how do you go about writing? Where do you find texts you know, what sort of rituals do you go through as you're preparing to, to write? I feel like I'm always looking for texts. Um, sometimes I'm very specifically watching for texts or looking for texts or researching texts. But more often than not, um, I happen upon um, really great text, texts that resonate with me. And um, you mentioned uh, Lake Isle of Innisfree. Uh, that was a text that I have been mulling over for. I, I'd mulled over for years and years and years, and um, love the love Yeats poetry. But that particular one, I've heard several settings of. But I thought I could I could hear a melody coming at, coming out of its its um, its uh, poetic essence. And um, so you know, once I find it, once I find a text that I, I like, I I tend to just put set it off to the side and and I wait for a moment that uh, that either. I have a need for or use for a text uh, like that. In this particular instance, uh, there was a, um, a choir uh, in Eagle, Idaho that uh, Seth McMullen's choir uh, at Eagle High, uh, he, he was looking for a big program ender. And I said, you know, um, I said, have you heard the, uh, uh, the Yates poem, uh, Like Isle of Venice Free? He says, yes, but that doesn't seem like an ender. <laughs> and I said, uh, I said perhaps, perhaps you don't think so, but if you think about it as a big rise and go, a rise and go. And uh, I said, I, I feel that this particular piece needs to, to, to start just very quietly and very beautifully. And um, with, I will arise and go now. Dee, da, 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 dee. I said, I just, I've, I've been wanting to write it for a while, but I said, but that piece is going to end big and 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 boisterous, and people are going to want to jump to their feet at the end of it. Uh, he said, "I said, what do you think of that?" And he said, "Sounds good to me." <laughs> <laughs> so guess what? A few, several weeks later, we 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 were able to take a uh, our first good look through a a, a piece with the squire, and um, it was probably several weeks later, many weeks later. Um, but it had been in my back, back pocket for a while, and uh, it, it just ha- needed to have its moment. That's fantastic. It's a great piece. Uh, I highly recommend anyone listening to to take a look at Lake Island is free for sure. So I've got one last question for you today before we take sure. a break. Sure. If you had unlimited time and unlimited financial resources, what sort of piece do you think you would like to write? What's sort of on your bucket list? Wow. That's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if I had, if I didn't have to make another dime and if I could just sit and write and do, um, right now, I, I've, I've always been wanting to, I've always wanted to write a, a, a big, uh, larger work uh, for, for choir and orchestra, um, likely in the Requiem Mass uh, category. I've been uh, toying with uh, an, another one, uh, started writing a, uh, the first move. In fact, uh, I would say I'm 90% uh, finished with the first movement. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, 
trying to find um, um, the, the, the time to sit down, uh, especially when it, it, there's, there's no commission writing on it at all. It's really hard to, uh, to sit down and just uh, write when there's, when it's just purely for me, I, I, it's, it's hard to, to, to sit down um, and, and justify hundreds and hundreds of hours of time taken away from my family um, when, uh, when, I'm, uh, when I say, and there's no paycheck at the end of this one. Right. Um, so it's, uh, so I have, I, have, I have the framework of something started. I, I actually began writing it uh, at the beginning of, um, uh, of COVID. Um, the, the first movement is actually focused on uh, isolation and uh, quarantine. And um, so I wrote, uh, I wrote it in that, in that sort of bubble. But I feel like I'm still waiting for uh, the world, for COVID to pull out of this uh, particular um, strain of, because I, I, I feel like the end of the work is going to focus on, um, on how we come through it. But we're not there yet, so I can't yet take a look back to see where, um, how that is going to take place yet. So is is it, you know, a COVID requiem? I don't think that's exactly what I want. But <laughs> um, but uh, but you know, they're also we've also lost, as of today, I, uh, over five hundred and thirty thousand people. Yeah. Uh, how do you memorialize that? Um, there have been hundreds of. Or, you know, many, many, many works uh, written about uh, various world wars and and uh, and large tragic events uh, of the past. Um, boy, how do you how do you take a look at at something as as uh, catastrophic as as basically one person every minute for an entire year lost um, uh, without musical memorializing them in some way? And that's sort of what I'm I, I've been uh, creatively wrestling with. Because I believe that's the work that wants to come come forth. That sounds amazing. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will explore some of Paul's compositions. Welcome back. I'm talking today with Paul Aitken. So let's start this portion of our interview by talking about Flanders Fields. So as I mentioned earlier, this was the first piece I knew you by. Uh, mm -hmm. What I didn't realize at the time, though, was how new the piece was when I sang it. So I performed this piece with the BYU Concert Choir in 2001 or 2002, and you wrote this for the Brock Commission just a few years previously, correct? Uh, that is correct. Um, I wrote it in the fall of uh, 1998, specifically for the competition, <clears throat> and um, and was and the winner was announced. Gosh, when was that? Either late 98, because the conference was in 99. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you, you had you had sung it within a couple of years. Yeah, so I absolutely love this piece with the breathtaking tenor ostinato and the soaring treble voices. Can you take us back to that point and talk about how you went about writing this hauntingly beautiful piece? Sure. You know the the uh, no one ever goes into a into a uh, uh, in that particular instance. It was I was at the University of Oklahoma and and uh, I just parked myself away in a in a, in a uh, practice room with a really out of tune piano. And uh, I, I thought, well, I'm, I would love to enter this competition. And uh, you know, in the back of your mind, you always think, well, is there is it possible to win it? Um, but um, no, I, I, I simply just went into into it with the idea that that uh, I wanted the text to write, uh, help write the um, uh, help write the music. And so you you spend a lot of time, you know, considering the poetry and what does the what does the poetry want. 
um, earlier, I mentioned that that uh, that I have a sort of this small backlog of of poetry that uh, that that I want to set. And um, at that particular time, John McRae's poetry in Flanders Fields was absolutely something that uh, that spoke to me. I I had grown up in Canada, um, in southern Ontario, not in a town not far from where John McRae um, actually grew up himself. Um, and um, so I felt very strongly that, that I wanted to set the text. That, that initial tenor ostinato was the very, the very first thing that I wrote. But um, it, I, I found myself, I think, walking around one day going, in Flanders fields the poppies blow. And I was just thinking, you know, if, if, if I could place myself in that, in the moment when, when John McRae wrote it, um, and and looking out over uh, over wherever he you know wherever he was um, in, in that particular moment that he wrote the text, I felt like it was likely a very quiet moment, and, and he was listening to the sort of the voices from from the earth, voices from the grave, and so that murmuring uh, that murmuring uh, ostinato was simply just there as an essence, and so that's um, uh, that's where the that's the genesis of the piece. Um, beyond that, it's, it was just coming up with a, um, a, a counter melody or, you know, interesting enough that, that the main melody in my mind is sort of the counter melody. It's the first, the first is that thread that, that, that the tenor line pulls through, but then soaring out over top comes this in Flanders, da, 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 and, uh, and at that point I, I let the music help take me along. Um, you know, what does, what does the text, uh, how does the syllabic nature of the text uh, help dictate uh, the rhythm of every nuance of, of how I said it? And so consequently, yeah, it's just, it, it's just organic. I, I actually always start at the beginning and I, I finish writing when I run out of text. Uh, but no, I don't compartmentalize and work my way backwards or, or anything like that. I start at the very beginning and go all the way through. All right, well, let's take a moment. We'll listen to the BYU Concert Choir sing Flanders Fields under the direction of Rosalind Hall.
All right, let's go next to your cantata, and none shall be afraid, a plea for peace in five movements. So each of the five movements of this piece focuses on a prayer from a different faith. So what was the intent behind using these different prayers connected in this way? Um, I had just, um, uh, first of all, I, everybody was deeply affected by 9-11, by as was I. Um, um, everybody knows you know, where they were and, and how they continue to feel for, for a period of time afterwards. Um, in 2008, uh, I was still re resonating with, with, uh, with, with those events, um, but I had uh, uh, just fairly recently um, uh, been to, um, uh, to visit Israel for the very first time. And it was a profound, um, it was a profound trip for me because uh, you, you find yourself, um, uh, uh, for example, waking the first morning in, in for me it was in Tel Aviv and, um, and waking to morning prayer. And, um, and then you embark upon uh, the, the, the visit of the city and, and you just watch um, the, uh, different faiths interconnecting and, and, and working in, in and around each other. And it's, it's a tenuous piece, but there is a piece there. And, um, and I began thinking, what if we could all be a little bit more like that uh, from the standpoint that, that um, you know, even our, even our political situation today, even if we can be a lot more in agreement about uh, what it is that, that uh, uh, unites us, um, um, then, it would be a better a better world situation uh, all around, and so uh, my my goal was to take uh, these five different peace prayers, these very very different peace prayers from five very different faith centers, and 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 uh, and make this uh, the bold statement that um, there is so much more that unites us than divides us. And we need to focus on those big rock things rather than saying, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but and um, and focusing on the things that just that do make us different. But the things that make us different can be those really cool aspects uh, of, of, of what makes the world tick rather than um, uh, being things that, that drive wedges between uh, each one of us or between faiths. And so, um, so I, 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 here again, I, I began at the beginning and, um, and I found a, uh, an Old Testament, um, uh, an Old Testament scripture um, that I, I set as, uh, that's from the Torah, um, and that I set as a, a Jewish peace prayer. In fact, actually, I'll be very transparent, I, I simply Googled um, um, uh, peace prayers in, in, in faiths, and these are the five, uh, these five peace prayers were uh, were the uh, five prayers that stood out to me the most. Um, a, a Jewish peace, peace prayer and uh, a Native American peace prayer, um, a, a Muslim peace prayer, uh, a Christian peace prayer, and uh, one from the Far East, uh, Lao Tse. And, um, and uh, it, um, uh, the peace that the, the is, Actually, just as soon as I received the commission, I, I here again I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Um, um, uh, Jim Urock, Dr. Jim Urock at uh, Boise State University, uh, approached me, um, and uh, uh, he wanted um, 
the Boise Philharmonic Master Chorale to uh, to present a, a brand new uh, a brand new piece and and um, and uh, I said I've I've got something for you and uh, I, he was not expecting a multi movement um, major work for choir and orchestra um, that's that I put uh, I I. I I finally just said, is it okay if I write this larger, larger work? And he said, well, the money can't change. <laughs> as long as the money doesn't change, we're okay. Um, so it's the um, uh, likely one of the, the, the longest pieces that I, I wrote for the smallest amount of monies. And, um, but uh, I, it, it poured out of me. I, I likely wrote that, that uh, five work uh, piece in about six weeks. Um, and uh, I would, I was just, Every week, I'd, I'd write another another movement of it, and so about six weeks later, I called uh, uh, Jim up and I said, "Hey, listen, um, are you ready to come sit down and and uh, let you come over for lunch and we'll we'll uh, we'll sing through this," and um, and uh, it's it's uh, continued to take on a life of its own ever since. Um, it's 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 a it's a tough piece to chew on. Um, people uh, have to. I'm going to call it like it is. I think people have have to have guts. When they program it, because um, uh, you have to be bold enough to say, um, "I am willing to put uh, a, a piece uh, that that represents five different faith centers um, on a program," and uh, be okay with that. Um, because, and people want to get sort of down into the the the, the um, into the nuances of it. Uh, and say, well, what about, uh, you know, what do you mean by this? It really doesn't matter. That, that's, that's, that in and of itself is, is irrelevant. What truly matters is the whole broad spectrum of the piece and saying that we have this wonderful, beautiful world with wonderful, beautiful people in it. And, uh, and, if, you, and if you travel anywhere in the world, you're going to find wonderful, beautiful people. And, um, and it's incumbent upon us to find out how we can uh, uh, more uh, generously connect with one another, um, and uh, and music is absolutely one of those those ways that can make that happen. So um, it's a dream of mine to to, uh, um, to present that in Israel. Uh, COVID completely squashed that mm. um, that idea. Uh, we had initial talks about uh, presenting it in in uh, late 2021. Um, maybe we can get that back on the rails for 2023 or 24 who knows all right well we are going to listen to some highlights from and none shall be afraid performed by the brazos valley corral
All right, next, let's talk about your new setting of the text, How Can I Keep From Singing? So I know that you have shared very personal experiences surrounding composing this piece. Uh, would you mind sharing some of those details with us? Uh, sure. <clears throat> I have a hard time with um, how, can, how Can I Keep From Singing? Because it's, it's, um, it's one of the, probably the most personal piece, pieces that I've ever written. Um, uh, the, the, <laughs> I began writing, um, I received the commission, uh, commission from Brazos uh, back in uh, early 2019. And it really, I was really excited about doing it. And um, so uh, the, the deadline for, for the, uh, writing it was, was January 1st. Um, and I, things got tough. Uh, <laughs> my schedule got really full in, in, in later 2019. And, um, and I started pushing it further and further out. And I, I began realizing I'm gonna have to finish this at the end of the year. So, um, so I, uh, in order to meet the deadline. Um, but on December 2nd of 2019, my, my wife uh, uh, went in to, uh, to her, her, doc, her neurologist and he said, I wanna, uh, I think we need to address uh, an aneurysm in your brain. And so um, we um, we went in and and uh, uh, they said You're, we should probably have surgery on this and we need to ha have surgery by the nineteenth of December. So she went in and um, had laparoscopic surgery uh, uh, done um, uh, on the nineteenth and uh, they were not able to fix it. They were not able to to do what they needed to do uh, to remedy the situation. So they said, well, we need to uh, uh, let we can. We can finish this, um, uh, finish the procedure on the 30th of December. Um, so we went in, but it was the, the complicating factor is it was going to be open brain surgery. Um, and I tried to finish the commission um, uh, at, right after Christmas, uh, but the, I, I just couldn't get it, uh, get my head wrapped around it. Uh, I, I'd written the first. Um, um, the first opening section of it uh, to the end of the first uh, end of the first verse, um, and uh, Mackenzie went into to surgery on the thirtieth, and um, several hours later they came out and said we still didn't get it. So, um, but we we have to go back in tomorrow, and so she has to have a second open brain surgery on the thirty first. <clears throat> so they did, and. Um, during that uh, third surgery, she had a, a massive stroke. Um, and our lives kind of came crashing down around us. Um, she came out on a ventilator and um, um, we didn't know if she would have use of any part of her left, uh, left side at all, um, whether she would ever walk again. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Uh, she spent um, several weeks in, in the hospital um, beginning to recover from this massive stroke. And every day it was, in fact, the, 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 I'll even say that the, the first week or so in the hospital, I, um, it was just this, these quiet moments in the, in the hospital late at night, um, <laughs> reflecting very deeply on life and love and marriage and um, what it meant. <clears throat> what it means to be truly in relationship, and uh, and it was it was a monumental moment in my in my life, and so um, 
um, it became apparent that Mackenzie was going to begin to start to pull out uh, from this a little bit. And um, uh, they moved her into a, a rehabilitation hospital and um, they began getting her to sit up on her own. So she started by learning how to sit up and then, um, and then standing on her own and then trying to relearn how to walk. And, um, and she's, even today, she still, she still uses a, a, a cane to get around um, and she's very slow, but, um, um, uh, but, uh, you know, I've, I've, I, I've never loved her more than, uh, I've just never loved her more. It, it's just, it's uh, just watching her recover from this as graciously as she has and uh, as, as hopeful as she has about her own future. Um, but but that 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 whole moment in our in our in our life um, uh, made a, a lasting impact on on uh, on my writing um, because I was in the middle of a piece and in this in the middle of a piece I realized that the trajectory of the piece is completely different. Um, and so I began writing in the hospital late at night. And, um, and what you hear is sort of this normalcy of, of my writing and here it goes and, and it's just sort of like everything else that had been, not, it was sort of in this, this pre-normal style of Pollock and, and then, um, and then uh, you hear the moment that the stroke happens um, and how life changed. Um, and, and it changed in a big, in a big way. And um, and so I, I continued writing. And then on uh, February 17th, uh, days before Mackenzie was to be released from hospital, um, uh, my stepson took his life, uh, her, her youngest son. <clears throat> and, uh, and luckily the piece, I had finished it by then. And uh, because all I had to do was was uh, uh, finish the orchestration on it, um, but uh, everything unraveled, <laughs> and um, and so we we uh, uh, but the piece the piece for me how, how can I keep from singing is truly about how um, no matter how much the world um, gets you down in in a, in a particular moment of time you can get back up, you can move forward and you will and can fly again. And so um, in this six, I think it's a seven minute long piece, um, it became a seven minute long extended work. Um, you hear you hear all that, you hear the, the sort of this, this pre, you hear, the moment the world changes. You hear sort of the, the stunned silence of, of as you try to, to uh, recuperate and, and dazed and confused, you get back up. And then you stand up and say, but how can I keep from singing? How can I keep from singing? And you just get up and you move back on. And you, you, uh, um, you know, if I were to write, ever write a book, it's, you know, 
it would be likely entitled getting up after falling because I've fallen a lot and uh, but I've always gotten back up and I think that I think this how can it how can I keep from singing truly embodies that um, that standing back up and it's it's everything that I saw in Mackenzie um, in her recovery even even a recovery from from uh, uh, from cadence cadence death I mean how can you keep from singing? You've got, you still have to, you, 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 the soul wants to sing. So get back up and continue to do. Thank you. We're going to take some time here and listen to How Can I Keep From Singing? Uh, this is the premiere by the Brazos Valley Chorale.
Our final piece today is a very recent one for you, Au Claire de la Lune. So I understand this piece won the Kronos competition in Alberta, Canada, and will soon be available through Cypress Music. Uh, so since this piece is so new, can you tell our listeners what they can expect from this piece? Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, it, the, the, it was actually written uh, before How Can I Keep From Singing? Um, uh, but I think it was the only a piece or two before um, um, and uh, is now actually fully available through Cypress Music. Okay. And, and uh, uh, so that, that's very exciting. Um, but um, uh, but the, uh, here again, I, I heard about a, a, a great competition in, in Canada. I was living in the States at the time, but uh, as a Canadian citizen, I thought, well, um, or as a Canadian uh, American citizen, um, I, I wanted to, I wanted to apply. And uh, so I, I, uh, I listened to, uh, to several of their, uh, of their works. I'd heard them in concert and they were phenomenal choir. Um, uh, absolutely worth uh, taking, taking some time and, and uh, geeking out on, on, on some of their um, uh, wonderful moments on SoundCloud. Um, and uh, I, I knew what they, they were capable of. And so I, I sort of, um, I, I love this text. It was a text from, from my childhood. Um, and uh, here again, it was a text from my childhood that I'd been keeping in my back pocket. And I thought, this, this, is, this is that moment. I, 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 uh, I knew that the, uh, that, uh, the previous winner of the competition, uh, it, it had been an English text. And I thought, I want to write a French text. And so um, I selected this uh, this particular text and and uh, and ran with it. It was it's um, um, uh, and and I, I, I was sort of digging deep into the uh, some of the Debussy and 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 Poulenc uh, sounds that I had uh, really spent some some time with in in uh, my undergrad years, and. Um, and I, I just I just imagined kind of uh, just, you know walking around with a cigarette here and you're just singing and in in your life and you have a, you know, a glass of wine in here and and uh, so yeah it's just it, you just just it's I just felt like it 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 embodied some of this this. Uh, um, the, the, the setting hopefully embodies some of the French sounds and culture um, that I, I, I uh, um, uh, gleaned growing up in, in, uh, in, in Canada and, and um, uh, visiting France on several occasions. It's just um, uh, the, the French are so free and loving and sensual and, and I wanted to, to put that all into this, uh, into the setting. And the uh, you know the the further you get into it, the you know it's it's a um, it's a sensual text. It's a it's a it's a kids poem, but 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 it's it's definitely uh, it's de definitely suggestive. And and I thought that was just hilarious. So um, so it's 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 in that. And so um, uh, you know as you know this guy guy comes over and knocks on the door and you know uh, wants his lamp lit. <laughs> so. <laughs> You want to light my lamp, and uh, um, and uh, eventually, you know, he, he gets invited in, and and uh, l'amour happens. So, uh, I think it's a it's a very passionate um, uh, text, and and, and I, I feel like it's a, a passionate setting of it, and um, and uh, and has some some uh, fun, exciting. Um, uh, chordal moments where where uh, you've got this this uh, you know. Um, 
uh, consonant dissonance, um, where, where it, it, it sounds like it's, it's functionally consonant, and yet it's totally just a whole mass of, 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 of uh, nettle of, of, uh, of notes from the, 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 the whole, you know, the whole spectrum of, of, uh, of the scale. And, um, and so, you know, I, I, I loved writing it. It was such a hoot, um, because I, I, I felt like I sort of let my hair down. All right. Well, let's take some time here. We're going to listen to the Kronos Choir from Alberta, Canada, singing Eau Claire de la Lune.
Well, Paul, where can my listeners more learn more about you? What's your website? Uh, you can obviously go to uh, paulakemusic.com. Um, I will say right now, as of today, it's it's a little hopelessly out of date. I haven't I haven't updated it since uh, before Mackenzie had her stroke, and I know, realized that just uh, just the other day. However, um, um, I'm I'm in a a website uh, modification phase of my of my world, um, as I'm also working on on uh, uh, getting the, our, our website up and going for uh, our the, the the Maple Inn Maple Inn .ca. Um, Ultimately, my, my wife and I moved to uh, to Eastern Canada, um, and that's that's where we're stationed now. But um, um, so so I'll be I'll be making um, uh, a, a switch of uh, or I'll be updating um, that that uh, that website fairly soon. Um, but all of my music is uh, all of my available music is is on um, uh, jdbpepper.com. And um, you just uh, plug Paul Aiken into the search bar, and you'll you'll come up with uh, everything you need right there. That's fabulous. And are you on Facebook and other social media as well? Facebook and uh, and uh, Instagram and uh, uh, I don't tweet very often. Okay, <laughs> I've I've been turned off Twitter the past several years. <laughs> well, Paul, it has been an absolute joy to talk to you today. Thank you for joining me on Movable Dough. It's a great blessing to be here. Thanks. Thank you so much. My guest today was composer Dr. Paul Aitken. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. To hear previous episodes, visit sdcompose.com slash movabledough. If you would like to continue this conversation or share your favorite music by Paul Aitken, join us on our Facebook group, Movable Dough Listeners, and follow us on Instagram at Movable Dough Podcast. If you have a recommendation for a future guest, please email me at movabledough at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving.